Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0, the award-nominated User-Friendly 2.0, that is, but we need you to vote to make us award-winning. We're still trying for that. We've got a week left to do it. Go to UserFriendlyNation.com slash vote. We are in the technology and gaming category. And what this is, is a company that works with Captivate, which is our podcast provider that is doing the award called Quite the Thing Media. Jeremy Gretchen, Bill, number one, welcome. Hey. Hello. So uh, what do you think about all this? Have you guys voted? Yes, we can vote for ourselves, too. Yes, we can. And we have. (laughs) Good. Uh, They do have a limitation on there, unfortunately, that I actually haven't been able to work around yet. Not that I would. That does limit you to one vote per person. So the vote Mm. is actually fair. And we need you to get out there and get in there. I was seeing that we were placing, I think, about third. And, you know, frankly, I've looked at some of the other shows in our category, and we do have some really good, valid competition out there. There's some really good media, and I'm very proud to be a part of it. And whether or not we take first place, it is quite an honor to be nominated for this type of a thing, just in what it is. Totally agree. You know, it's been a lot of fun. We've had the show for a number of years now. In different incarnations, this being 2.0, the original user-friendly actually goes back to 2014. So definitely a thing that's been out there and definitely something that we've really enjoyed doing. But if you like us, get on and vote. Let's see if we can take first place. we got a great show for you this week. We're going to be doing our news segment, got an extended Q&A, and we're going to be talking about post-pandemic jobs and what to look for and what to expect in the jobscape. So Gretchen, what's in the news? NFT market officially crashes. Non-fungible tokens. Wow. before. Yeah. So, Jeremy, uh, go ahead and uh, tell us about how you're shocked about this. I'm sorry. I just I know people have lost money and everything, and people are trying to invest in these things that are not real and have real no value. But um, yeah, not shocked. Not shocked at all. So no. NFT is a part of a blockchain. Uh, having that has to do with cryptocurrency, but it can be used for other things like this. That has to do with creating a unique item that is virtual. I think that would be the best definition I can give you. So, like a piece yeah. of artwork. So, in the real world, I want to do a hundred prints, so they're numbered one through a hundred. You buy it, and you know that's all there is. An NFT is designed so that you can essentially take that to the virtual world. And people were paying. I saw one uh, sixty thousand dollars for a piece of artwork. That type of a thing. The idea being this was a way to collect stuff, but not really collect a physical item. It was virtual. Right. So um, this seems to have not played out very well. The market is still available, but like everything else that's been going on lately, it has crashed. And when I say everything else, that also has to do with cryptocurrency. Right now, as we're recording, the uh, Bitcoin is at half of what it was a few weeks ago. They think it's going to come down another 10 grand over the next few weeks. These type of things are, well, virtual. What's next? Hackers taking over brokerage accounts. Hacking is becoming a big deal. And this is something that you want to be aware of. We've talked in the past many times on the show about being able to watch and how to watch your own personal information, banking information, that type of a thing. It seems like the latest stop on that train from the bad guys is brokerage accounts. They get in, they convert the materials that are in it, say a stock portfolio or something like that, sell it, take the money, 
start routing it through all of the virtual wallets and different things, makes it very, very difficult to recover. And there's a lot of schemes out there to be able to get into a device like your phone or a tablet or even a computer where you might keep this logging information and be able to replicate you on their system. The providers, the banks and other things, brokerage banks and all that kind of thing are trying to do what they can to keep things secure with stuff like multi-factor authentication where you have to log in from two different environments and that type of a thing. And while that is helping a little bit, passwords being pretty obsolete in this day and age, the bad guys are now figuring a way to get completely around that and just simply get into their systems. So the best thing you can do here, and this isn't even really passwords, it's a good idea to keep them unique on your financial accounts for sure and update them. But the reality is keeping a mindful eye on things. If anything is weird on your financial account, get a hold of your bank brokerage firm in this case or whatever it is quickly because you do have a limited time for being able to make claims if stuff's lost. There's usually insurance. Uh, also something you should talk to your financial institution about to find out what would happen if you did get hacked. And just do the best to be diligent because a lot of times right now, that's where this hacking is going. That's about the best you can do. And the days of you left a password out there or something like that happened, it's a lot more integrated and a lot more technical what they're doing now. DOJ official declares ransomware national security threat. Yes, and after the pipeline situation a couple of weeks back, Colonial Pipeline on the East Coast that got hacked and shut down, it just goes to show how this ransomware thing is really becoming a problem. They're targeting cities, they're targeting law enforcement, they're targeting hospitals. And the thing right now is the idea of paying the ransom. And the CEO of Colonial was before Congress this last week talking about why he did what he did. And, you know, after listening to it, I think both arguments make sense. But the problem is, is of course, if a ransom's paid, it makes it more possible or more idealist, I would think, for other bad groups to be able to get in, bad actors to be able to get in and do this kind of ransomware. But on a positive note on this, and this was our Tech Wednesday this week, the FBI was able to recover most of what Colonial paid. So it does go to show, Bill, you talked about this last week, that cryptocurrency isn't really non-traceable. And neither are VPNs. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so there's these things called crypto wallets, which is a virtual wallet that contains crypto coins and other things. And the FBI was basically able to follow the money and figure out where it went. And it went through a number of different things and ended up kind of in one central place. They haven't released yet exactly how they got it back, but they were able to seize it, got the uh, digital uh, serial number for it to be able to get in and pull it back. So that's one for the good guys on that front. That also has targeted Bitcoin and caused it to go a little bit lower in the last couple of days because I think it's proving to people that it really isn't something that you can't trace. El Salvador becomes first country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. Yeah, so lead from the <laughs> great, topic, great uh, transition. Great transition there. And this is basically what the headline <laughs> reads. El Salvador is directing merchants in their country, which already accept the U.S. dollar as legal tender and other things, to go ahead and accept Bitcoin. So if you're a business in El Salvador, this is now part of what you would need to do to be able to legally have your business there and be able to accept payment from those that want to pay in Bitcoin. I don't think I'd like that. Okay, uh, scams running wild on Apple App Store. Yeah, it seems like we just talked about this last <coughs> week. We did. Yeah, open versus closed market. Yeah. Closed market, open market, Apple mm. being the closed market. 
So everything's secured. It's all reviewed. I uh, uh-huh. can't have any problems like this. Well, you know what? What could possibly go wrong? And this seems to be one of the things. And what's happening is, is that a lot of apps on the Apple Store do seem to contain malware and other things. They're also doing where they're charging subscriptions for things they shouldn't. So again, about a review, one app as a for example was charging people $14.95 a month for a function that's built into the camera on the iPhone when you buy the iPhone. So, <laughs> you know, that type of a thing. You absolutely want to watch with this kind of stuff and go from there. The other side of it is, is something that's been coming out a little bit with Apple and is something that I did experience a while back is the somewhat subjective nature of how they approve what does and doesn't go on their store. Now, I don't know if any of us have had cause to deal with this, but there's been some claims out there that it simply comes down to whether they like you or not. And I don't know. That doesn't seem Hmm. to me like a technical... That's not a valid choice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I know there can be some difficulties there. And working in some past projects with developing iPhone apps and things that we knew do meet the rules and had in-app purchases and all that was set up to go through their system and they got their 30% take as they do on anything that's sold through that environment, it still wouldn't be approved. Or you would have to go through a process where it would take forever, like months to get it done. Uh, Call people, have to talk with people, have to really just push on it to be able to, to get these things done. So, you know, another prospect here, Apple's a private company. And what it's looking like is coming down from the courts. And I'm no lawyer, but this seems to be the direction they're going is that as a private company, they actually have a right to do whatever they want to on their platform. So if you buy an Apple product, you're buying into an ecosystem where they have control over what you can and can't do on your device that you paid for. And to me, I would prefer to have an open environment just to not have that kind of a restriction. Yeah, A lot of people like Apple. It works well. As long as you're working within their paradigm, you're good to go. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We've got a great show for you this week. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Well, it looks like, hopefully, it continues this way. We're starting to get to the end of the pandemic. Yay! (laughs) I think that is the general response to it. Listener question this week, and actually it's a pretty good one on this, is what is the job market and technology going to look like after the pandemic? Well, I think actually there's a lot of things that we need to take into consideration here. And before we get into some of what's going to be going on, One thing that I think is going to be a big deal is the fact that the whole landscape on how you work in these kind of industries has changed, and I think probably changed in many ways forever. And what I'm talking about there specifically is this whole idea of going into the office every day, working on your programming project or related, and then going home. And it seems like a lot of the bigger businesses are keeping the remote working that has come up during the pandemic is more of a norm. It's going to depend a little bit on what you're actually doing. And I also think we're going to see a hybrid model of that where probably like I know with my team, it's looking like one day a week we'll be in the office and then the rest of the week we work remotely. The idea is that you can still meet in person with your team environment, but you also don't have to be there every day. Now, the you know good side of this is 
is it obviously cuts down on environmental costs because there aren't as many people driving. You don't have that end of things. You also are seeing a big change in the way the housing market's working because whereas a year ago, living in a market like San Jose or New York or wherever there was big tech platforms was a big deal and you'd pay $7 million for your 1950s track home. That's all (laughs) going away in a lot of ways, you know? You can work from anywhere. So it makes a huge difference on that front. And then the next side of it is, is real estate for companies. What the co- our companies are realizing is, well, if we have five teams each in the office one day a week, instead of everyone in five days a week, we don't need the real estate that we used to for the office. So that costs less. So there's a lot of things that have come from this that are a positive thing. Families are together a little bit more. You have a little bit more control over your schedule, that type of a thing. So that being said, coming out of the pandemic, in a technology environment, what is a good thing to know? And I think first and on the top of that list is cloud computing. Now, two, three years ago, I, and I still have the t-shirt, this was a joke that there's, you know, the silver lining is there's no cloud, it's just someone else's computer. Now, in a very broad sense today, that's still the case. Cloud computing is simply you're sharing platforms with another company to be able to host your website, your application, whatever it is. But cloud computing is something that is really growing, and the big providers out there like Amazon, Azure, which is the Microsoft platform, Google, Firebase, these different type of things are really becoming a big deal. Some of the older names that have been out there are things like Rackspace, they're still around, and then there's a number of other small providers. But unlike web hosting and the way that this used to be done, this is becoming a very specific knowledge base. So you might be a specialist where you use Amazon Web Services and you get just hired to administer a company's use of that platform. Same thing with Azure, same thing with Google, and same thing with some of the others. So as an Amazon certified provider myself, Amazon Web Services, I'll talk about that from that front just because that's where I know more. But it does kind of work the same way across the board for the other ones. If you go on Amazon, there's a number of specialty services that are built into the system. Things like machine learning, AI, things to specially deal with different transactions. One thing that we use for a client is the ability when someone uploads a file to have it automatically converted into a specific format and saved properly. Things like backup functions, things like deployment and code version control, all that stuff's built into these systems. So what ends up happening is instead of having a server in the office that you have to maintain and upgrade, Now it's done on the cloud. It works well. The upgrades, you don't have to worry about buying hardware because all that's taken care of. And you have a much larger support net and access to a lot of different services. Of course, the company pays a monthly fee for this. But again, coming out of the pandemic, getting a certification on one or more of these services and knowing specifically how to do it is a big deal. Second thing is programming languages. And this is a question that's come in from a lot of different people. We talked a while back about languages that are dying, languages that are carrying on, and some of our old school languages that are still out there that are definitely a major part of development on the web are back-end server languages like PHP. That has just been upgraded to version 7. A version 8 is on the horizon, so it's definitely still got its thing out there, a focus. It's something the web's been based on for a very long time and is built into a lot of different system frameworks. Other front-end languages like JavaScript, Cascading Style Sheets, certainly HTML5, these are all things that are important to deal with for being able to do the front-end of an application or a website. And a lot of this has grown beyond just putting your business card on the web. Interactive functions 
which are a big part of things, especially with the pandemic, with a lot more resources going online now. All of this is being pushed in a direction where having that kind of ability and that kind of a skill set is, is good. And with the hiring market the way it is right now, you can have an entry-level JavaScript programmer, entry-level PHP programmer looking at positions that start at $50 an hour with training on up. So it's also a well-paid area and one that is definitely looking for filling a lot of different roles. So that type of a thing is very important. And the third part of this that I think is something that we're going to definitely see out there in the tech industry more and more is the idea of design methodology. So this is your graphic layout. Graphic design has changed a lot in recent years. It used to be where you sat down and designed graphics. Now you do have to have the interactive component for most companies that you would go and work for with this. So they're going to expect that you have an artistic flair, something that I do not have, but a lot of people do. And the ability to design what the user interface is going to look like and still be able to design the logo, the color schemes, and all of the different things that go together like that. So moving ahead in the technology industry, I think this is a lot of kind of the direction that we're going with all of this. And we have a little bit of time left here, Jeremy. I'm going to ask you this question. You're mm-hmm. we're a graphic designer. Yes. Have you seen your field change? Oh, dramatically. Yeah. It used to be you'd design the graphics. And then if you needed to add stuff to the website, you'd get the sizes and, and resolution that was needed, and you'd design a graphic for it. Nowadays, instead of that, I have to design the website, how the website looks, and also, I have to understand how to program for the website. Right. And that just, to me, that's just, uh, it's, you know, well, I think it's a step too far. But. Well, well it's got me out of a, a job. I can't do the programming or the graphic design. So, you know, and just, to, and just to close this, this is an important point. If you get into these type of tech industry jobs, be prepared that you're going to be updating your skill set as long as you're working in the industry. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This last week was Apple's show. So we talked about the Android one a while back. Apple just did theirs. The WWDC keynote, a lot of different things being announced in their Worldwide Developers Conference for anybody that doesn't know the acronym. And the biggest thing is the debut of iOS 15. New operating system. We're getting a new operating system for Android, so why not Apple? They're actually bringing a lot of different features in that uh, some of them are, I think, overdue. Others are maybe a little bit on the creepy side. But first one is a big-time update to FaceTime. For anybody that doesn't use Apple, FaceTime is a video conferencing program. One of the things that's coming out is that looks like there will be the ability to get to it through a web interface. So If you're not on an Apple device, eventually you're actually going to be able to use FaceTime with your people that are friends that are using Apple. They're building in video and music sharing. So new feature from that standpoint, which is actually kind of cool. If you want to show something off, you can and uh, throw it out over the video conferencing. Next thing that they've announced is that they're going to use AI to read all the text in your photos. What? (laughs) <laughs> a way to be able to index photos. There's a good side and, a you know, you could use this for not so good things, I guess. But if there's text in your photos that will create what's called metadata or data about the photo, 
And that information will be able to be saved so that you can use it to search and other things to be able mm. to find photos. So I can see where this is actually something that could be used, but it is kind of weird to think about doing that. You'll soon be able to use your iPhone as your ID at the airport. You know, ah. virtual ID is a thing. They're doing this with a lot of driver's licenses and that kind of stuff. TSA and Apple have come to an agreement to be able to use your ID in digital form. This will vary from state to state, so check it out before you try to use it. And it's not an active thing yet. It's coming soon. So I definitely would still bring your ID to the airport at this point. So wouldn't that make... So wouldn't that make your phone more of a target for someone to want to steal? I think the more that you can do with a device, definitely the more it makes it a target. Now, one thing about smartphones is the fact that most of the time you can find them on these locator apps. And since most people, like the greater percentage above 90, use uh, codes to secure the screen and that type of a thing or biometrics or whatever it offers, it does make them a lot less of a target from that standpoint because if someone steals one, they can't really do a lot with it, and they're probably going to be found that they have it. But at the end of the day, you are loading a lot more personal information into the phone. And with digital driver's licenses, this has been kind of an issue. The argument in favor of it is in addition to having an electronic version, you can block things like your home address when it's not needed. So there's you know uh, ups and downs to all of these different type of things, and we'll uh, see where that goes with that iPad OS 15 is also going to be here. It allows you to put widgets on the home screen, updates the multitasking function. So if you use an iPad, it's actually going to allow you to do more. And they're adding privacy features to their built-in mail and the Safari browser. This has been something that has definitely been asked for. So something that's out there. Safari is the only real mainstream browser uh, since Microsoft Internet Explorer is being dropped that it's its own unique engine. Everything else is pretty much built on top of the Chrome engine, including the new Microsoft Edge. So this is one where it's still unique and they're still developing on it. Another one that I think is interesting is that Siri is going to be able to work without an internet connection for speech recognition. My grandmother loves Siri. (laughs) And I'm saying that very sarcastically because my grandmother literally took her tablet and shoved it in the bottom of like a clothes hamper for three months because it scared her. And there was like, it took forever to figure out how to shut her off. Right. Now that's wow. Uh, <laughs> and then she comes back after an update. She came back. Okay. I can now, I, I'm hearing Alexa now going. Yes. Off. I was sat in the background there. So uh, <laughs> our smart speakers do exist, especially when you say other names, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and the abuse. <laughs> Shoving thing. it in a hamper. Yes. Absolutely. You know, there was a negative reaction to that. No. The thing of it is with smart speakers in general, the way that that normally works is that a recording of your voice is sent to a server on the internet where the voice recognition is actually processed and then the response is sent back. And this is done because most devices like a smartphone don't have the computing capability to actually do it locally. Hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how this works. It definitely is a privacy thing and Apple's been headed in that direction. So if your audio doesn't have to be sent to the web anymore to be able to have that work, I can see where a lot of people would like that. So we'll have to see how good it works. And one final thing, there's a lot more, check out the keynote. But the other thing that's worth talking about is Apple is trying to get into the health industry. And there's a new function in here where you can share your health data with other members of your family or your group. Not sure that I would want to do that, but there are circumstances where this actually could be a really good thing. Say if you had a parent or somebody that has health problems, so you can see what's going on and monitor it if you're supposed to. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break.
Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we endeavor to give you answers or Q&A. Send us your questions as you always do. 503-766-6264 is the phone number. You can give us a call on that number and just leave a message on the automated attendant. We do actually listen to your messages, so it's a real thing. The other way to do it in this year of 2021 is social media or through the web. One user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter userfriendlynation.com, and this is your last weekend to vote. If you want to vote for us for the prize for the best podcast, userfriendlynation.com slash vote. What questions do we have this week? What is an Alienware graphics amplifier? Well, I'm going to have to go a little bit intergalactic to get an answer for that, but uh, they are well, saying yeah. that they're, you know UFOs might be a thing now, so uh, yeah, let me see what I can get on that. On a more down-to-earth answer for that. Alienware is a line of computers that is manufactured by Dell. It's considered their high-end gaming. They make desktop and laptops. And this is a device that actually has been discontinued in the last year. But what it was was something that could plug into these computers and would add memory and processor capability and that type of thing to the graphics. So when you have a computer that's specifically designed for doing things like high-end games, rendering, that kind of stuff, this was a thing. But the reason why it's gone away is because its components are getting smaller and they're able to put more in less space. The content or the capability of the graphics amplifier is now actually built into the video card in the computer, so you don't need the separate device anymore. But it was a good idea, and it's time. What is Twitter Spaces? I don't know, Gretchen, you had an answer for this when we were talking before we started recording. Yeah, I was saying it was the space bar between yeah. <laughs> letters. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, it could be on Twitter. <laughs> anyway, that I'm sorry, I digress, a matter of my opinion. Um, no, Twitter Spaces is a function that Twitter is launching to try to get people back into the social media world to allow you to drop in and participate in audio conversations. Uh, so this type of an idea, there's other social media sites out there that do this. That's one thing that they're adding to try to allow that. So you can go on and listen to other people talk, or you can actually request or host your own conference, I guess you would call it where you talk and you can allow other people to participate or not, depending on what you want to do. Uh, Not terribly sure really where this is going to go, but hey, you know what? If it's something that people enjoy doing, maybe it's a little more interaction to have voice chat than just the tweets. So we'll see how how this works out. What is a video game engine? Bill, I think you might be a little more up on this with dealing with the video games. The question relates to things like Unreal Engine and that type of thing. Okay, so video game engine, when it comes down to it, is the very basic amount of coding. Um, Unreal Engine is a set of tools and such for developers to create games. Not every engine does the same thing. Um, there's a piece of software out there you can get for making like uh, visual novels called Tyranno Builder. That's an engine in its own, and it's only really good for doing that kind of game. Unreal has been used in a lot of them, uh, along with a couple of other engines that have been used. Uh, a lot of them are proprietary to certain companies, such as like Activision has its own. Ubisoft, I believe, has its own, which I think is Unity, things like that. Um, and it is really just like that underlying part that allows the game to function. I guess you'd call it the PHP coding. Right. So in other words, if you wanted to write a game... You wouldn't have to go to scratch to do it. You could use one of these frameworks, is what it sounds like it is, and be able to go in there and use existing graphic rendering functions, sound, I would imagine, other things like that, and then kind of build on top of it. Would that be a good explanation? 
Yeah, it's it's the nougat center. Yeah, that that idea. And I know yeah. Unity is used a lot with virtual reality. Unreal tends to be more your high end games that you would work on a desktop or a gaming console or that type of thing. So they do have their own environments and their own goals. But definitely. And the other thing of it is, is you know, we talked a little earlier about uh, post-pandemic jobs and that type of thing. And this is one of the areas when you talk about specialization, if you specialize, say, in Unreal Engine, you're going to work the rest of your life, probably. So, you know, it's a good thing from that standpoint. And they're definitely all around there. Good question. What is Loki Charms? Ah, uh, yeah, a little different question than the last <laughs> one on uh, importance. Jeremy, <laughs> I'm going to let you answer this one. Okay, Loki Charms is a tie-in for the Loki TV show from General Mills Serial. They're actually replacing Lucky on 3,500 boxes of Lucky Charms. They're replacing him with Loki and changing the graphics, but they're already all sold out. They were only available on a website. And they're gone. Oh, I can imagine that'll be a collection. There was only 3,500 of these boxes made. (laughs) So uh, so just a little bit broader thing, just for anybody that might not know in the pop culture world, Loki is going to have his own TV show. He's the Norse god of mischief uh, in Uh the universe and has been a part of a number of the Marvel movies coming forward. And, you know, now you get your own show. I'm all for that when the, you know, villain character, although I don't know if I completely consider him a villain. But a character like that should have their own content because, you know, that's what really carries all of this stuff. What's our next question? What is CloudFront software? Interesting uh, that this would come up right now. Mm -hmm. So we had, I'm going to preface this, we had a pretty big internet outage this last week. Only lasted for a couple of hours, but it took down CNN and a number of other sites. Zoom was having some trouble. And all that has to do with CloudFront software, which is where this question came from, because this is a layer that you probably are not familiar with on the internet unless you're an engineer or have run into it where it stopped the site from working like earlier this week. And what it is, 10,000 foot view explanation, is if you have a website, your website is on a server somewhere. That server, let's say, is located on the West Coast of the United States. So anybody on the West Coast accesses your site, everything's fine and well. The idea with this is now someone accesses your site internationally, say they're in Europe or Africa or even the East Coast or something like that, distance far away, it slows down because even the internet has something called hops, which is where it repeats the data to get it from the server to where you are, and the farther away, the longer that can take. So CloudFront software is this idea where it makes a copy of your information on different server points all over the world. So when someone accesses your content from a remote location, they're actually not getting it from the far away location, but something that's much closer and that keeps the speed up. Some of the disadvantages to this type of a deployment are if you update something, it doesn't always get out right away. It takes a little while for it to replicate to the other environments. But more importantly, it is a choke point on the internet. And we've seen this a little while with the one that went down last week. Uh, CloudFront is another one. Amazon offers these. There's a number of different uh, environments out there. But if that piece of the system stops functioning, it can cause a problem where the websites associated with it also stop working. And that's what we saw earlier in the week. So CNN and Zoom and them, the actual services didn't really have a problem, but their ability to get them to you did. And because it was one company that's handling a lot of different things, that's why it seemed like it was so widespread. They were able to get it fixed very quickly. I think they were back up in 45 minutes and everything was back to normal in about an hour. So it was a quick fix. But I know earlier in the year, we had a problem with Cloudflare, which is another provider like this, 
that actually had gone out, and it was a good day before things really got back on track. So definitely something you want to think about. There's a lot of different levels associated with getting web content to you in the modern way that this works, this just being one of them. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Great show this week. Yes. Yeah. You know, it seems like I say that every week, but we, do. we generally do. <laughs> now, not 100%. I mean, there's been a few out there that, uh, you know, might not have gotten saved onto the podcast platform, but they are few and far between. Most of them, we uh, actually get a lot of good content. We get a lot of that good content because you send in your questions, and that's how we program our show. So I'm going to go ahead and give you that information again here. 503-766-6264. Give us a call. One user-friendly on Facebook, one user-friendly on Twitter. And right now, we need you to vote for our Quite the Thing Media Podcast Award, Technology and Gaming Area, userfriendlynation.com slash vote. Please go on there if you like us and vote for us. So, Gretchen, Jeremy, Sweet Tooth? Okay, I've been watching this without Jeremy because yep. he's been busy. And so I just wanted to find something fun to watch. And there's this cute little kid with deer antlers sticking out of his head. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll give this a try. Actually, it's pretty good. Uh, it, but it's a little creepy at times because it's like, think of the pandemic on steroids. Um, some of the things uh, that happen in the story are, uh, let's just say you hope that we never get that bad, okay? But it's a charming story of a, of a father who um, wants to rescue his kid, and then he passes away after he's taught his son a lot of survival skills, and then his son has to make his way in the world. Okay. And he comes across and he meets different people. It's, a, it's almost like a coming-of-age adventure, and... Um, I don't know. I, I've, I've liked it so far. I haven't finished it, so I don't know what the end is going to be like. But uh, I have a feeling it's going to be pretty exciting. Well, this is definitely one I would never have watched or even heard of if we hadn't talked about <laughs> it. So we'll have to check it out. What streaming service is it on? Uh, it's on Netflix. Okay. Netflix, Sweet Tooth, Interesting, Pandemic on Steroids. I'll have to be in the right <laughs> mood for it, I think. <laughs> All right, speaking of pandemics and uh, actually getting to the end of this one, we are going to be doing some in-person shows again. It looks like our first one is going to be SillyCon with Adam Savage, and that's going to be the Yay. end of August. So we're getting closer to that. We're about, what, eight, nine weeks out or something like that. Yep. Oh, wow. It doesn't seem that long. Time is going by quickly. Yep. Yep. And I know we got set up for it. The Star Trek convention, which I still recommend in Las Vegas, I don't think we're going to get to that one uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, in, uh, real world difficulties having to do with allocation of shows. In other words, I didn't get the budget for it. But these are just things that happen, and we will have someone there to cover it for us. So Silicon's going to be the first one we're at. We've got a couple of virtual ones coming up in front of that, and another one that's going to be Boots on the Ground, which is the Black Hat Conference in Las Vegas, July 31st through August 1st. Chaz is going to be there covering that one for us, so we're going to be good to go. Until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. 
The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily user-friendly media group, Inc. or the station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by wearetechnology.com. Podcasts available at userfriendlynation.com, theanswerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.